What happens when a radio broadcaster gets let go from his sports talk job? Well, he tries to figure out what he wants to do next for a career, and in the meantime, joins the four million other podcasts on the internet, and the John Cast is born. Join me each week as I talk to guests I find interesting or entertaining from the world of sports, play-by-play broadcasting, or whatever else sounds fascinating to me at the moment. The John Cast is what I'm doing until I figure out what I'm doing. Subscribe, download, and I hope you learn something along the way. Welcome in to another edition of the John Cast Podcast. We are in episode number 32. Episode number 32. And my guest today is a play-by-play broadcaster. His name is Chris Vosters. He works for Big Ten Network. See him on NBC during the Olympics as well for hockey. Chris Vosters, before we get started, I want to tell everybody about the sponsor of the podcast. And it is, uh, we have a couple of sponsors, including Ian's Pizza in Madison. Ian's and I are teaming up for another awesome giveaway. It's the, check out this name. It's the Ian's Pizza John Cast Podcast Bracket Contest. Huh? Pretty that's amazing. Name. Yeah. Uh, that, that's awesome. And, and definitely, look, look, you know, I'm, I, I've got ties to Madison. I'm a proud Badger. Shout out to Ian's Pizza, the pioneers of the macaroni and cheese pizza. It, it, it's become a sensation. And I think Ian's really started it. One of the best slices of pizza you can get no matter where you are and, and just a great spot. So that big time, man, that you got Ian's Pizza to, to slap their label on this thing. Good for you. That's awesome. You got a good sales team. Yes. And I love how you just came in and sold the mac and cheese pizza as well. Well, we're teaming up for, like I said, the Ian's Pizza John Cast Podcast Bracket Contest. You go to johncastpodcast.com and you find the blog with the Ian's Pizza logo. There you're going to find a link to sign up. All right. Now, the bracket winner will receive a big screen 4K television courtesy of Ian's in this podcast. But there is an extra bonus for podcast listeners, okay? Each week, I'll have a bonus trivia question that if you DM me the answer, you'll get bonus points added onto your bracket. For uh, example, first week's question is worth two points. Week two of the tournament, it goes to eight points and then 16 points for the final weekend. So we'll add on the bonus points after the official website scoring. So go to johncastpodcast.com, sign up, and possibly win a free T-shirt. In March, me and Julio will be joining me. That is my favorite place to go grab a margarita in Madison. Me and Julio will be joining me and we'll be doing some cool stuff with them as well. Plus, it's week two of my t-shirt release. I have been uh, partnered up now with Scani for a couple of weeks. Thanks to Troy, Haley, and Rishi for helping me out with all these designs. And this week's t-shirt is about reminding you to stay in the moment and be humble. It's the t-shirt with the quote that Giannis made in the NBA finals last year. It reads, when you focus on the past, that's your ego. And when I focus on the future, it's my pride. And I kind of like to focus in the moment, in the present, and that's humility. That's being humble. All right, so it comes in a forest green with that creamy tan font. You can see it right now. Actually, if you're watching on Spotify, hold on. Let me uh, push the right buttons. You can see right here. There it is. There's the t-shirt. That looks yep. great, John. Yeah, yeah. You you want one of those. And it's that tri-blend uh, uh, cotton or whatever, Chris, where sure. it's super, super soft. Nice and soft, not stiff t-shirts. So go pick up a t-shirt for you or a friend or somebody. And um, check it out. It's week two's release uh, from Scani. Check it out at johncastpodcast.com. Okay, I think I have everything out of the way. As I mentioned, my guest in episode 32 is a play-by-play broadcaster. His name is Chris Vosters. And uh, are you officially done with your Olympic coverage of men's and women's ice hockey? Officially done. So, and, and the tournament and the entire Olympics are rapidly coming to a close here. The closing ceremony is on the 20th. And the gold medal game in the women's tournament was just last night. 
U.S. played hard, but Canada prevailed 3-2 to two to win the gold medal back after the U.S. won it four years ago in Pyeongchang. And then on the men's side, it, it's down to the semifinals, so the final four. So with the preliminary round coverage over and the, and the women's tournament completely wrapped up, my assignment is over, and it was a, it was a heck of a ride. But looking forward to getting back onto a normal sleep schedule, that's for sure. Yeah. Now you weren't in China either, were you? I mean, you were doing these at, at some outrageous times. So you were telling me before the podcast, you were doing some of these broadcasts at like three or 4 a.m. in the morning. So number one, where are you broadcasting from? And what was that like to to just totally alter your entire schedule um, to, do, to do play-by-play? So I am based for the last two weeks out of NBC Sports headquarters in Stamford, Connecticut. They put me up in a hotel, provide 24-hour shuttle service so I can get to the studio any time of day or night, which is great because, as you said, most of my hockey games, the puck dropped at 3.40 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So even though I wasn't in Beijing physically, I was in many ways living like I was. I flipped my sleep schedule so that I was basically on Beijing China time. Fortunately, I have had practice doing this before because just six months ago when the Summer Olympics were in Tokyo, that was also a 13-hour time difference from the East Coast of the United States. So I don't know if I necessarily did the time change or the time flip any better this time around, but I got through it, found a way to sleep during broad daylight thanks to the blackout curtains that I have in my room and, and got through on a lot of coffee and adrenaline. Wow. That's crazy. So what time were you going to bed? What was that schedule like? So, I mean, you know how it is. Like you call a game and yeah. you usually have a, a post game buzz, you know, some adrenaline that has to wear off. So my game would start at 3.40. It would wrap up a little after 6 a.m. Eastern time. So I'd go to the commissary at, at NBC, grab a bite to eat, take the shuttle back to my hotel get back to my hotel around 7.30, 8 o'clock a.m., and, and then kind of hit the sack around 9 in the morning, <laughs> 9 or 10 That's in the crazy. morning, and then sleep uh, until the late afternoon or, or early evening. So, um, it, you know, it was really weird going to bed when it was light out and in some yeah. cases waking up when it was dark. And then, uh, you know, so so I would, I would wake up probably around dinner time and then just begin the process of, getting ready for my next game or going into the studio and watching the the previous game to to prepare for the game that I had to do. So, it, you know, you, you feed off the energy of, of everybody else. I mean, it's a round the clock operation. Uh, and especially with the with the with the Olympics being in Beijing, the studio in Stanford is is most active at night. So there are a lot of other people there in this gigantic warehouse, essentially with you. And so you you, you get through it with strength and numbers. I was going to ask you about this place. So you, by the way, I have the office background. I don't know if you're familiar with. I noticed that. Yeah. And you're, cool. you're talking about Stanford, Connecticut, like when yes. Jim had to move. I don't know. I just found, I just noticed that, I noticed that connection right now, but what was that facility like in Connecticut? What was that? You said people were always there. What is, what was that like? Did was it made especially for the Olympics? Was it a, a part that they just kind of like adjusted for the Olympic coverage or where were you? Well, you know, not really, actually. And this this process that I was a part of is very much a well-oiled machine right now. This is the third okay. Olympics that I've had the chance to cover, and all of them have been in this format where I've been remote in Stamford, Connecticut. And and coincidentally, the last three Olympics have all been in East Asia as well. So there's been a, a 12 to 13 hour 
time difference for the last three Olympics going back to 2018 in Pyeongchang, South Korea. So it's a it's a great setup. What was unique about the Beijing Olympics in particular is that NBC sent the fewest number of people that they ever have to the actual site. So if anything, the, the studio was more populated than it, than it typically was. But it's this massive campus um, not far off the freeway, I-95. And it, it used to be a magazine warehouse. Um, so there, uh, you know, it's it's got the the tall ceilings and the and the wide hallways. And it was, relatively speaking, converted pretty easily into a, a television studio. So a lot of NBC's big time productions, whether it's Football Night in America, they do they they did a lot of their NHL coverage out of this same studio. It's actually when I say studio. It's actually six or seven studios just kind of lined up next to each other. And for the Olympics, they repurpose a couple of them into VO booths. So they create these cubicles, basically. And you walk into a big studio and there are just several rows of cubicles that are each devoted to a particular Olympic sport. So for wow. hockey, I was in Studio 4, booth 1 and 2 every night. That was just my spot. And there was all kinds of stuff going on, you know, at the same time, you know, I across the aisle speed skating was going on down the aisle they had bobsled luge and skeleton so it's uh you know kind of like a like a, a hive really with with all the all the honeybees going to work yeah that's that's pretty interesting all those different sports all happening kind of at the same time you know uh so the men's hockey team um lost to was it slovakia i believe yes you know, I, I wanted to get your reaction because i was looking this up last night kind of getting ready for this and you know when we think about big wins, whether that's with our team or more with our country, like a big win in the Olympics, right? You think about everybody celebrating and how awesome of a, of an event that was. And I came across the video I'm about to show you here. And if you're watching on Spotify, you can watch with us of, um, and let's make this big screen of kids. Well, we had our Olympic shootout in the USA and China. This is how it looked at uh, kids hockey practice in Slovakia. Here, let's let's bring this back. Hold up. So this is a bunch of little kids watching the game on a phone, and then they go celebrate, and they're going crazy, throwing their sticks and their gloves up into the air, and they are just sliding all over the ice because, heck, they just beat the U.S. And you know, it's it's one of those things where, um, you know, we kind of always think of it from our perspective but i just thought that was kind of cool to see like what a big deal that was to beat to beat the, U the united states in hockey i don't know if you've seen that video yet i have and and i'm really glad that you saw it and and yes look i was in i was in studio the night of of the usa slovakia game and obviously it, it was a pro-american crowd no disrespect to slovakia and it was it was really deflating when slovakia won that game in a shootout, no or less, no, no less an overtime shootout. So, mm -hmm. um, but that definitely, it, you know, kind of softened the blow a little bit. Seeing a video of of kids having that kind of reaction, yeah. watching live when when Slovakia scored probably the biggest win in in the history of its national team. So, um, you know, it was really interesting just kind of researching Slovakia because I had one of their preliminary games before the quarterfinal. And they were not expected to be in the semifinal. They, they really weren't even expected to be in the quarterfinal round against the United States. They knocked off um, the, the, uh, the Czech Republic, actually, earlier in the, in, the, in the tournament just to get to the quarterfinal. So um, 
they're they're kind of a Cinderella story. They're they're a, a very very young team that was just not expected to be in metal contention, and so I think that was definitely part of of the dynamic as well. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, not just beating the United States, but but defying a lot of worldly expectations from from outsiders. So you know that th- this is going to go a long way to developing hockey in Slovakia as well. I mean, there, there are going to be a lot of countries or a lot of kids, I should say, that that will look back on that game as as the defining moment in, yeah. in kind of their their fandom or, you know, a seminal moment and why they they picked up sticks and pucks and skates or just got into any sport, really, because it's, you know, a moment like that can really can really galvanize a country. Okay, I want to go back to the the setup that you've had at the Olympics with remote. Um, you also do sports for the Big Ten Network, and uh, some of that is also remote. Sometimes you're at the actual arena where the event is happening. But this remote setup thing, especially for broadcasters and television, um, it's, it's kind of the way of the future, right? I mean, are we are we progressively going to not? I wouldn't say full remote, but I bet you it's going to be a pretty high percentage. 100%. And, and that's especially a discussion that has been had within the walls of, of NBC during the Olympics, because again, more people than ever before have stayed back stateside to, to do this. And I think I think you're going to have a situation going forward where maybe the big events, the, the marquee events, whether it's the, the crown jewel sports in the Olympics, you know, sports like figure skating, gymnastics, swimming, I think that I think announcers will continue to travel and be on site for events like that. And then on, on the flip side, if you look at, for example, Big Ten basketball, big, big conference matchups, I think we'll, we'll always have or continue to have announcers on site. But but definitely from from a from a cost cutting, not even I don't want to say cost cutting there. You know, there's negative connotations around that. But from a from a budget standpoint, a budgetary standpoint. These networks save a lot of money by by keeping everything in house and not traveling so many people either overseas or across the region or the country. So there's there's very much a, a bottom line component to this. And speaking personally, I I love being on site. If I had to have it either one way or another, I would want to be on site. But Travel is is exhausting and it takes up a lot of your time. And, and there are also instances doing a Big Ten Network game out of the studio in Chicago where 30 minutes after the game ends, I'm I'm on my couch, you know, in, in sweats and a T-shirt. So sleeping in my own bed, you know, not not worrying about uh, a canceled flight in the middle of a winter storm. So there there are some some perks, frankly, that come with having um, a, a more local and, and remote setup. Yeah, so for 2020, all the volleyball matches I did on the radio and, and all the women's basketball games were done at Camp Randall Stadium. And uh, at, I I disliked it. I, I thought this is going to be awful. I thought uh, there goes the end of travel and kind of getting to know a team because, you know, my role is a little bit different. I'm with one team the entire time. So it's it's good to go on the road. Those are my moments to actually speak with the coaches, yes. speak with some players and actually get to know everybody. And I thought, well, great. All of that's gone. Um, and there is that possibility with if everything went remote that that I still would you know miss that part of it because I think that's pretty valuable. But after it was done, what you said rang true with me. Um, you know, I was 25 minutes after the game, I was in my house, comfortable, ready to get a full night's sleep. Well, I knew that that team that would just traveled to Maryland or Penn State or whatever, 
hasn't even gotten on their two hour flight yet, you know? <laughs> yeah. And there was something I said, you know what, maybe some select remote games isn't such a bad thing. In fact, I kind of got used to it and I was preparing to do 2021 all, all remote, but it just didn't work out that way. And I, I traveled again, which was fine. But I, I, I think the remote thing is actually, like you said, it's got its benefits for sure. I was in the same boat as far as my expectations for this winter season, whatever sport, 2021, 22, I had it in my head that I was going to be doing a lot more remote games than I've ended up doing. And and it's been a hybrid scenario, 50, 50, maybe even 60, 40 with, with the slight edge being actually on site again. But I'm with you. I, I was thinking that, that I might not be traveling hardly at all this winter season. And I've ended up traveling more than, more than I expected. Uh, and and this is in the case of the Olympics, an interesting case where I, you know I'm I'm traveling to work remote, so it's kind of both. Mm-hmm. But um, I will just say that for the Olympics specifically, when you're dealing with international rosters in a situation like this, it, there would have been a really enhanced benefit to being on site simply because I would have been able to watch the team skate and practice beforehand, and would have been able to familiarize myself with the players more. Um, because I just don't have familiarity with the Latvian roster, uh, you know, the way that I would, you know, the, the Wisconsin women's basketball team or something like that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a case by case thing. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get to see that, that roster and, and become, become familiar with it at all. Or, you know, I wonder too, is it, I, I wonder you know, there is a, a disadvantage too, because eventually there's going to be like a play that you don't see or a call that you don't see, or God forbid, somebody, a feed gets dropped. I don't know if you've ever had that happen. I'm sure it's a possibility. It's probably a very small possibility, but even just like not being able to be there and see everything in front of you because you, your eyes are now just the camera's eyes. And if they miss something, you don't, you can't turn your head. You can't look and and go see something. And has that kind of impacted anything you've called? And have you ever had like a feed go down? Have not, you know, believe it or not, I have not had a feed go down. Um, and, and, you know, there's certainly there's certainly a risk of that simply because you're you're uploading data mm-hmm. and, and sending it into outer space and, uh, and around the world. So, the, you know, it just seems like there's a lot of relays that could be missed there. <laughs> but yeah, for sure. The, the, the biggest problem that I've got that I've encountered with with connectivity is actually when uh, the broadcaster is is using an at home kit. And is trying to connect to the studio. That seems to be where the, where there are the most kinks that that still need to be ironed out. But fortunately, I don't have an at home kit. I, I I live in Chicago, so when I do Big Ten Network games, I just have to drive fifteen minutes to the studio. And then I, I was obviously in studio to do these remote games for the Olympics. So fortunately, that's never impacted me directly. But I have heard mm. horror stories. But you're, you're you're right. You're at the mercy of the people who are on site, the camera crew, and you, you are you are really following the action in a way. Whereas you're when you're on site using your own two eyes, you are um, you know you're you're driving the ship a lot more, I guess, yeah. or, or driving the car. Yeah, you're much more in control. So you now, fortunately, you know the the camera crews are great. The, the directing work is great, so you really don't miss much. I mean, people know what they're doing. And when you hear like a whistle or play stops because of something that happens off camera, you're able to figure out pretty quickly what what went on. And uh, in the case of the Olympics, actually, the communication between the officials 
and and the broadcast and 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 the arena was great. So every time there was a, a question of a, is this is there a replay review? Is there a penalty? It was it was answered and explained timely and and in a way where we weren't guessing or speculating on on what exactly was going on. All right, Chris. Well, um, you know, I'd like to thank you for when you've been uh, broadcasting the last few games, I've been able to sneak in some words. I'll text you a word. I'd like to thank you for getting those words on the broadcast. Uh, I want to play now for our listeners one that this happened in the volleyball season when you're at Illinois. I think this is the first time I've texted you a couple of times. I think you missed one before. Um, I know when the, the men's and women's uh, Wisconsin teams were in Nebraska, I texted you, hey, we're watching at the team at the team dinner and you mentioned yeah. that and it was really funny i'm sitting there and and um the video coordinator for wisconsin will he was kind of like near the uh uh where the speaker was and he's also mm -hmm. like is he in here how does he know we're doing this what is happening right now and it was just like it was pretty funny but here i want to play the one from the volleyball match this was earlier this season and i just want to give you shout out um here we go let's uh back this up <laughs> sure if you can hear that very well but orange crush was the word yes orange crush we, I, I there was like three orange crushes in there you you crushed that one well thank you i mean it was a great it was a great suggestion i mean you know the the, the illinois student section for basketball games calls themselves the the orange crush and you know, it was obviously Illinois. Their colors being orange, so that that was a that was a great suggestion, and and I'm I, it, I'm really glad that that you think to do that. It's it's a lot of fun. It kind of shakes things up for me, and I enjoy kind of spinning the wheels a little bit to think, okay, how can I work this in in a in a creative way? So I, it, it's a lot of fun. Okay, so um, we gotta I, we gotta keep this tradition alive. Okay, so I'm going to be texting you the next time I see you on BTN or whatever you're doing. I'm gonna text your word. Okay. That sounds good. I've got a couple. I got a couple of women's basketball games coming up uh, Sunday. I got one on Sunday, one on Monday. So okay, okay, you, you we we'll got some opportunities. So get start start thinking. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. That's so awesome. If you have any ideas for Chris, you can DM me at John Audius Radio on Twitter. Things you could say during broadcast, and we'd all laugh and be fun. I'm trying to think of one right now, like off the top of my head, and I can't think of something that's creative enough or whatever. I probably should have done that before. For the, it's hard to do it on the spot. Don't worry. You still yeah. got you still got some time. I'm doing. I, I got Michigan, Maryland on Sunday, and then Indiana and Iowa on Monday. So Ooh, okay, okay. You know, the, 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 the world is your oyster. You got a got a full full menu of things to choose from there. You get to see Caitlin Clark then. Yes. Yeah, I saw her put up a triple double against the Badgers in person. It's crazy. She's, but it wasn't uncommon. Insane. I, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, you just get in line. I mean, you're, you're, uh, a lot of people have seen Caitlin Clark uh, drop a triple double. <laughs> yeah. So she's, uh, she's, she's phenomenal and she is, she is so cool to talk to. I mean, she's just got a great personality. She's very approachable. She's just kind of a, you know, she's just kind of a baller, you know, just loves showing, yeah. showing up to the gym and, and, and hooping. And it's, uh, it's really her, her energy, I think, is really contagious. She, uh, yeah. One of my favorite athletes to cover. Caitlin Clark of Iowa. She's a she's a basketball player. In case those who don't know, uh, just crazy good scorer, handout assists, and scored forty six in a game recently. But uh, so she's really talented. All right, so let's really quick your sports casting career. 
What has it looked like? How have you gotten to where you are doing games for BTN and then just uh, recently covering the Winter Olympics? Where did you start? How'd that go down? Well, I started, I, I, as I mentioned, when we were talking Ian's Pizza, I've got ties to Madison because I was a, I am a, a proud alumnus and got a lot of opportunities to call games with the student radio station, uh, 91.7 WSUM. Uh, and actually, I, just on a personal note, I, I want to say that that the jet, the longtime general manager, the guy who started the student radio station, was really one of my mentors in college. Dave Black just passed away. And we're on the verge of celebrating the 20th anniversary of the station's launch. So um, I've been reflecting a lot on my on the on the origins, I guess, of my career, because I had so many really invaluable experiences through the student radio station to broadcast Badger athletic events. I got to go to a Rose Bowl and we set up our equipment on, on the roof of Rose Bowl Stadium and, and broadcast the Wisconsin Stanford game. So um Along the along around around that time, the Big Ten Network launched the Student U Initiative, where they turned over television play by play and and really broadcast operations to the student media, and and had the opportunity to call Wisconsin volleyball and women's basketball and women's hockey, women's softball. So uh, there were some just tremendous opportunities for me both in radio and television in college that where I was really a able to just get reps and sort of uh, crystallize the the vision of what I wanted to do professionally. And then after I graduated, I got into minor league baseball because it was a way to get on the air 140 times a summer with yeah. games virtually every day. The one thing that I wanted coming out of college was just repetition. And so baseball, the structure of the season gives you the ability to do that. So I found myself back in the Midwest working for a minor league baseball team in Michigan and I, I had some opportunities to broadcast local sports, high school sports, and, and Division II college sports as well. And there were some television opportunities that kind of popped up along, the along those lines as well. And I got on the Big Ten Network's radar in part because I'm a Big Ten grad and had student U experience. And, I, and they liked the fact that I had taken what I had learned there and, and applied it to my actual career. So for about a uh, little over four years now, I've been calling games for the Big Ten Network, and it, it's been a, a crescendo in terms of the amount of games that they've asked me to do. And it got to the point where it made sense to move to Chicago to continue to get work from them. Even before the pandemic, this was a, a trend that was taking place in broadcasting with more and more productions taking place remotely. And so that moving to Chicago in the backyard of the Big Ten Network really opened up a lot of a lot of doors for me and, and continues to, to do so today. Yeah, student you that's that's pretty interesting. How many broadcasters have been able to do what you did? Because, I mean, to go from BTN student you, which is a great opportunity for for various students at the different Big Ten um, institutions and then to, to go to that next level and get the job at the network. That, that's pretty cool. You know, and I really timing is everything. Sure. And if you look at where things are going now, there's there's much more of an emphasis on streaming platforms and ESPN Plus and and Big Ten Network Plus. The 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 network has really, and I think it's a good decision. Really invested a lot more in in those broadcasts to make them look like the exact same broadcasts that air on linear television. But when I was when I was doing it in the in the early days of Student U, it was just 
it was just a win to get the games on the air. And then the added bonus was, oh, we're giving on-campus students an opportunity to, to grow and learn and, and develop. And that, that shift to really prioritizing the digital streams hadn't taken place yet. And it was still just a new kind of fertile and very undeveloped ground. And I was able to take advantage of that and, and get all kinds of really great experience on, on the, on the television side. And, and that's absolutely played a key role in, in leading me to where I am today. So when did you know you wanted to be a sports broadcaster? Very early. I, I was always a guy, you know, I would, when I was a kid, I would, I would announce the scores in the, in the sports section at the breakfast table. I wait, was wait, wait, how would this look? How would that look? So you've got like the newspaper I've got, I, yeah, I've got the, I've got the newspaper and I'm, I'm sitting there like reading, you know, look, going through the, going through the box scores from, yeah. from the previous night, you know, Wisconsin 35, Illinois 14. And, you know, just, I, I would kind of, you know, in some way create like an impromptu mock sports yeah. cast That's at, awesome. the, at the, at the breakfast table. And, um, you know, I called my, called my video games. I was big into the, into Madden and the backyard sports, backyard football, backyard baseball. Um, you know, so shout out to Pablo Sanchez. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's just kind of what, where I, I started having an interest in it. And then, you know, going into, going into high school, I did some, I did some public address announcing and, uh, was, it was involved on the, on the competitive public speaking team, the forensics team. So, you know, just kind of, kind of gravitated towards, public speaking activities like that, where I was in front of an audience and in front of a microphone, or in some cases in front of a camera. And um, yeah, then, then, as I said, you know, go, go, going into college at the University of Wisconsin, I, I figured that a journalism major or a journalism degree suited what my, my what my career interests were closest. And so I, I got into the UWJ school and pursued a lot of opportunities extracurricularly through WSUM through student U uh, had some out, outstanding professors in the in the UWJ school as well. Uh, Pat Hastings, Katie Culver, Shanika Hall, uh, James Boffman, uh, really some some great professors who uh, helped open some some doors for me as well. So um, it was you know just kind of one thing leading to another. It wasn't like a, a moment where I was struck by lightning or anything like that. It was always something that I was interested in, and so I always just kept looking for ways to to do what I enjoy doing. It's so funny about doing the the sports broadcasting with the newspaper and the play-by-play -play for video games because I used to do a little play-by-play -play for video games as well when I was playing like NBA Live. And sure. I, this is something I, st I still do today is yeah. like I'll watch SportsCenter and the ticker will be going across with all the scores and so-and-so did what. And sometimes when I'm bored, I'm just like, uh, Bucks beat the Rockets 121 to 101. Giannis with 32 <laughs> points and 12 rebounds. Meanwhile, it was the Lakers 117. And I would just read the bottom ticker because I get bored. And I still do that sometimes today. But that's just, awesome. It's just a cool way to like, yeah, I don't know, just to like, practice. I don't know why I do it just because I'm bored, I guess. But I think I think that absolutely is I think that absolutely is part of it. I, and I think it is I think it is practice and it's fun, too. I mean, yeah, like I I, I geek out about about similar things. I mean, I'll, I'll I will still read articles aloud in the newspaper uh, just to just, you know, to <laughs> yeah. I don't know, because I'm sitting by myself and it's like I need I need to I need to break the silence. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I totally I totally get that. And I'm sure that sounds super weird to a lot of people. But, uh, you know, and and 
but that's yeah, I totally I totally vibe with you on that for sure. Um, now you were in minor, minor league baseball. How many seasons did you do minor league baseball? Well, I did I did minor league baseball for five seasons, and then okay. actually for a couple of seasons before that, I did summer collegiate baseball. I worked uh, as an intern, and then the first job actually that I ever had out of college, I was working in the Northwoods League. So okay. if you're familiar with the Madison Mallards, that uh, it's that league, and um, that was kind of the stepping stone for me to get into minor league baseball. And then I spent I spent five years riding the bus as they say, uh, covering, covering minor league baseball. So it, it, it was a blast, you know, it was something honestly that I, I look back on it and, um, I, very, very, very fond memories where I was in my, I was in my early to mid twenties. And just the only thing I had to do was, was show up to a baseball park and, and make sure that the, that the radio broadcast got on the air. I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun and, uh, just a, a really, I, I look back on that time in my life uh, very positively, even though, you know, riding the bus was uh, was a grind at times. A big time, big time grind. I could never do, number one, I could never do baseball because there's so much downtime that I'd have to start telling stories. And I don't know if I'm. You might be really good at that, though, John. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think that would be tough um, to fill that big. I'm used to volleyball and then 90 minutes later, the, the whole thing's done and you barely had a chance to think. You know what I mean? Um, and then to do five seasons, that's a lot. You know, I was reading about uh, I saw a minor leaguer. Let me see if I can share this on the fly. Oh boy, this will be fun. I saw this um, from a minor league baseball player entering his seventh season, and he was kind of just talking about the grind of minor league baseball. It's more, you know, because of players' union and, and things like that, trying to get more money for minor leaguers. Here, let's see if I can. Can you see this right here from Jack Kruger? Sure, sure. Oh, uh, who is this? This is a current catcher with the Rangers, former Angels. Okay. Uh, and he put out this series of tweets I thought was really interesting. He says, About to start my seventh in, uh, season in the minor leagues my firsthand experience. Um, he says, this is not political, blah, blah, blah. He says, after being drafted in 2016, I went to rookie ball, 12 hour bus rides through the night, more peanut butter and jelly sandwiches than you can believe in long days at the park made $400 every two weeks. No pay in the mm -hmm. off season, 12 hour bus rides. Is that, uh, similar to what you have had to go through? Well, that's definitely at the at the extreme end of the spectrum. But, you know, right. I've certainly heard of 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 12 hour bus rides in some in some leagues. My I was in the Midwest League. So the longest bus ride that we had to do and we had to do this a couple of times a, a season, we would start from our our home ballpark in Midland, Michigan, which is about two hours north of Detroit. And then we would we would drive through the night to Bowling Green, Kentucky which is about 45 minutes away from Nashville, Tennessee. So, yeah. you know, you, you, uh, the sun would come up and, and you'd be on a bus and, uh, you know, you, you kind of stumble into the hotel at, you know, 10 in the morning or whatever and sleep and then get to the ballpark for batting practice at, you know, four 30 or five o'clock PM. And first pitch was at seven or seven 30, whatever the case may be. So, Man, yeah, what a grind. Uh, what a grind. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a grind. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, but you know, I was I don't know. I was too young to to know any better. I didn't have a I didn't have a family. Um, yeah. As a as a broadcaster, I wasn't making much more than four hundred eighty dollars a paycheck. But um, you know, it was again. I, I didn't have I didn't have great or exorbitant living expenses. So 
um, yeah, I was, I was able to make it work, but it's definitely a labor of love in a lot of ways for sure. Yeah. He goes on to write, uh, in this, in these series of tweets in this thread in 2017, he says, I lived in a two bedroom apartment with seven other guys, unfurnished apartment, slept on an air mattress, two guys in each room, two in the living room, one in the kitchen last season, started the season in triple a, um, as a two time minor league all-star who was one level below the bigs, I was set to make $12,000 for the whole year. And he says, about to start my seventh year in the minors. After this, it'll be my first time in my career that I'll be a free agent. If I make it to the big leagues, I'll have to play another six years before I'm a major league free agent. Um, and he goes, you know, he just kind of keeps talking about all the wow. different things. He says, I've had teammates who were homeless. I've had teammates skip numerous meals. Uh, I've missed weddings. I've missed events. I've made very little money. You know, he talks about how he could have left. It, it goes on. It's a great read. Um and he says, does professional baseball need reform? Probably, but that's not my point. My point is that you have guys working three jobs in addition to training, guys who are homeless, guys who can't support their families. Mm -hmm. Just remember, not all pro baseball players are millionaires. And he mm -hmm. kind of just kind of here documents the struggle of what it can be like in, in those in those minor league systems. And I mean, that's kind of crazy to think about all the work that some of those guys go. And, and from a broadcasting perspective, it's been five years doing that um i don't know i just i thought that was a really really interesting uh perspective from a minor leaguer's perspective definitely and and uh you know not to you know not not to um not to discredit or or you know not to valid not that i'm not trying to validate anything that that he said there i know that with my experience personally you know and i did I, you know i knew a lot of the minor league guys that i covered were substitute teachers in the off season had off season jobs things like that um Fortunately, I was I worked for a Dodgers, a Los Angeles Dodgers affiliate, and and the Dodgers did a, a really fantastic job. They invested a lot of money into their minor league system, so guys weren't eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day. You know, the, the Dodgers would spend a thousand dollars a day on team meals, and so there were catered there was catered food oh, and nice. okay. and chefs and things like that. Um, even when the team was on the road, and the the town that I lived in Midland, Michigan did a great job. There was an outstanding host family program where there, there weren't the kind of the frat house conditions of seven guys living in a, in a two bedroom apartment or whatever the case may be. The, the town really, really supported the team and made sure that they, that the players had, had very, very nice living accommodations, but, but it's not, it's not like that and, and necessarily all over the place. And, mm -hmm. uh, so, but, but yeah, it's tough. And, you know, when, when you're, again, when you're in a ball, which is the level that I was at, these guys are, are 18 to 22 years old. They're basically college aged, if not younger, some of the, you know, some of the international players that come from the Dominican Republic or Venezuela, for example, are, are even younger than 18 sometimes, but okay. uh, you know, you're in an age in your life where, where you can, you can live like that and you don't have the the family commitments and, you know, you don't have to worry about, think really thinking about what what you're going to do with the rest of your life you, you're just you're just there to there to play ball and uh the rest takes care of itself but you know you definitely get to a point yeah by year seven like like that guy where he's been in the minor league seven years where you get to the point where you got to figure out okay you're starting to weigh other options and, and just think financially does this make sense long term big picture does this make sense with what i want to do for my life so you know I've definitely seen guys get to a point where they, they really have to ask some tough questions like that. Uh, final question for you, Chris. Uh, what is the best piece of advice 
you've gotten uh, about being a play-by-play broadcaster? Do you have one or do you have a couple of tips that people have provided for you? Is there something that I was always stuck out in your mind? Yeah, I think, you know, maybe more than than just one kind of like succinct or, or pithy quote or line, you know, just a couple of, of like big picture things that I've learned to appreciate along the way. And, and that's definitely the um, being being versatile and being flexible and, and saying yes to things. Uh, even if it's even if it's easier to easier in your head to come up with reasons to say no, I think it's really important, especially early on, to to push yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit. Um, and the example that that I can relate to personally with that is is with hockey play by play. I was not a hockey uh, fan growing up; didn't follow the sport, didn't play the sport. But when I was in line to get reps on the student radio station. Everybody wanted to do football and basketball play by play, but nobody wanted nobody wanted to do hockey. And and there there were there was an opportunity for me to get on the air right away and do hockey. And so I took it and got all this hockey experience in college that I didn't really expect. And that has continued to kind of um, pay for itself as I've gone throughout my career. One of the first things that the Big Ten Network asked me when they were thinking about bringing me on. Uh, was, hey, can you call hockey? And mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah, I've done hockey, no problem. And over over this this most recent summer, I got a call from from the Chicago Blackhawks. Hey, we've got you know a couple of games where we were looking for a fill in for for Pat Foley. Can can you do them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, it's things like that where where I, I think it's that's where you really can see tangibly the value of of being versatile and not, yeah. you know, everybody wants to, to be uh, in the NFL or calling, calling big 10 basketball, whatever the case may be. But if you can, if you can prove yourself, if you can prove yourself as a, as a person who can call multiple sports and, and be dependable in, in situations like that um, you know, and again, like even with the Olympics getting, getting hockey uh, you know, they, they put me on hockey pretty late in the game. It was only about, I was originally going to be doing curling. They put me on hockey 10 days before the opening ceremony because they knew that I had hockey experience and they knew that they had thrown me on sports like fencing before in the summer Olympics. So it's like, Hey, this guy can, this guy's versatile. We can put him in a different, in different roles and and he can handle it. So I think, I think there's really, I think I've learned a lot about the, about the value of that concept and, and also just being nice to people and being easy to work with. Um, You know, learning, especially through television broadcasting, where you're working with so many other people, the show is not about you. People do not tune into a broadcast to listen to what Chris Vosters has to say. <laughs> so, and in a way that like takes a lot of pressure off of you, right? Yeah, like, it's like, sure. okay, you know, I'm just a cog in the wheel here. Like, you know, I, let me just enjoy this experience, this opportunity to work with people who have become like really close friends of mine now along the way. And that's where I get the most enjoyment out of this is just working with people who I really enjoy spending time with. And, uh, you know, it's, it's because, um, you know, you, you, you go in with a, with, I think a team oriented mindset, uh, low ego, and, and you just, you just make, make sure that you don't make the, the broadcast, you're not self-centered. You don't make the broadcast revolve around you and, um, when that happens, when people enjoy working with you, it's a closed loop circuit. I mean, people talk and, oh yeah, you know, I, I worked with this guy. He's a blast, works really hard, you know, very easy to work with, low key, low stress. And, and that's, 
you know, that's that's the best ticket to getting more work. It's not about how you call a slam dunk or mm-hmm. a, or a double play. I mean, that's those are the clips that get retweeted and shared. Um, and you know, everybody wants to have that big call of the game winning bucket, but um, you know, you don't you don't get in a position like that, put in a position like that if if you're um, you know a piece of work. I don't think so. No, those are the two I love things. That. I guess be be versatile and be cool. Be be, be cool. easy to work with. No, I yeah. like that second piece of advice. I think that's something that that broadcasters need to hear. Just be cool and be, you know, easy, easy to work with. And I think that's really funny. You were going to call curling. How cool would that have been? Were you like, <laughs> yeah. had you had called curling before? Or were you getting all prepared for all the terminology and watching tape or whatever? Yeah, I, w- I was I was all I was deep into curling prep. And, and I had to, actually four years ago, I, I had had the opportunity to do wheelchair curling at the Paralympics. Okay. So same rules. There's just no sweeping, which is what they do with the brooms. So yeah, but you know, I had my, I was working on my curling vocabulary and, you know, I was, I I could talk about the house and the button and they've got the hammer and shot rock and, you know, you know, laying three on the eighth end. So, you know, I I was ready to go and um, excuse me, just one second. That's my phone. Um, I I was ready to go, but uh, you know, then, but I was really stoked to do hockey too, because again, I've been doing, more hockey this season than I have before. And, uh, and it, it was, it was, it was not, it was a, a win-win situation for me. I was like, okay, you know, I was, I was pumped for curling, but yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll do some, I'll do some Olympic hockey that work. I got yeah. to work with, with Kenny Albert and, um, and Brendan Burke and, and some really great former Olympians, AJ Malesko, Angela Ruggiero. Um, so there's just some really cool people that I got to meet by doing Olympic hockey as well. Oh man, that's, that's, uh, that's a, not a bad, uh, like backup prize, right. Or, or whatever. You're right. Right. Uh, yeah. Is, is to exactly. be able to do hockey, um, consolation prize. That's what I was looking for. Um, but yeah, curling, man, I'm trying to get Matt Hamilton on. We're going to see if we can get Matt oh. Hamilton on this podcast. So, uh, being a Madison guy or McFarland, so that'll be fun. Well, Chris, um, uh, we will be sending you, me or a listener or somebody, we'll be sending you a word and one of your upcoming broadcasts, and we will keep playing that game because that is a fun, fun game. And I really appreciate you taking about 45 minutes here today to, to just kind of join me, talk about your your time with the Winter Olympics and just kind of your background and your career. Thank you. Thank you. No, it's great. Uh, you're doing a great job with the podcast. It, it looks great. It sounds great. And uh, it, it, it was an honor to be on. You've had some awesome guests and uh, really cool talking shop with you. I appreciate it. Cool. Thank you. All right. There you go. That's Chris Vosters. See ya. Episode number 32 of the John Cast podcast. Quick reminder, once again, Ian's Pizza and this podcast teaming up for uh, what we're calling the Ian's Pizza John Cast podcast bracket contest. It's a really awesome name. Go to johncastpodcast.com. You'll find the link to sign up for our tournament bracket contest and the best bracket will win a 4K television courtesy of Ian's and this podcast, but there are bonus points as well. So you got to listen to the podcast each week. You'll have a chance to answer a trivia question and get some more bonus points added on to your bracket score. Okay. So you can check out more information at johncastpodcast.com. Go check out the t-shirts. It's week two of my collaboration with Scotty and it's week two of our five week run of different t-shirts. This one's 1999. It's a quote by the MVP, the NBA MVP, 
for Milwaukee when he talks about being humble. He comes in that four screen t-shirts, nice and soft tri blend. Go check it out at johncastpodcast.com or scani.com and watch out because me and Julio is jumping on as a sponsor on this podcast starting in March. We'll do some fun, fun things. And uh, they just got the best margaritas in town and some fantastic food at me and Julio in Fitchburg, Wisconsin. Okay, I think I covered it all. Uh, we will be back next week with even more fun episodes, and I'm hoping to get a, a consistent background if you're watching on Spotify. Right now, I went with The Office, but I'll get a, I'm will get working on a virtual background here. I got a green screen set up. It'll be fine. It'll be cool. Yeah. Um, all right. I touched on everything. Thanks for listening to this podcast again. See ya.